in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you were here last week, you got to not only hear, but you got to, got to watch the dean as he actually turned the cathedral into a replica of a map of Israel. With the center aisle as the Jordan River, he even placed those of you in the pews as either the chosen people of Israel on one side or the inhabitants of the badlands on the other. So I hope that today when you came in, you were a little more careful about where you sat. But the good news is that like Elijah and Elijah, the dean too was able to part the waters. So there is still hope for all of us. Speaking of hope, I want to review just a little about some of the things that the dean talked about last Sunday. Now, I have to be a little bit honest here, but I would ask you not to tell him. Um, it didn't strike me as being particularly profound at the time, but I had a chance to put some of his suggestions into practice as I prepared for the sermon today. And it truly added a new perspective to how I read Scripture. He was talking about the Old Testament and how it can be sometimes a bit challenging to read, to understand, to relate it to the New Testament, or to put it into a context that we can use today. He said to start by reading the text. What happened? Well, this morning we're going to start by looking at today's Old Testament reading. To be able to put today's reading into context, you might need to look at what happened a little bit before this passage and to read a little bit beyond this passage to find out what happens afterwards. Last Sunday, the dean talked about Elijah and Elijah and the passing of the mantle. Now, as we move in today's reading, several chapters later, Elijah's ministry is now in full swing, and he is known by the faithful of Israel as a great prophet. Today, we see the story of Naaman, now, Naaman is a very successful commander, but in the army of a persistent enemy of both Israel and Judah. He is greatly honored and respected by his king because of his military expertise. But Naaman has one very big problem. He has leprosy, a dreadfully painful and deadly disease. Now, it just so happens that Naaman's wife has a young slave girl who was captured from Israel on a previous raid. This young slave girl knows about the miracles of Elisha and shares her knowledge with Naaman's wife. Now imagine, if you can, just how desperate Naaman must have been to take the word of a slave girl, a slave girl from Israel, and take those words to the king for permission to seek a cure for his disease from a prophet, a prophet of Israel. Now the king, surprisingly, not only gives Naaman permission, but sends with him an entourage and a letter to the king of Israel, along with a large sum of money and gifts. 
those gifts would translate into more than a million dollars today. When the king of Israel gets the message that he's to find a cure for this great military commander, Naaman, it is easy to see that he might be just a little bit anxious. He sees the action of his adversary as a way of picking a fight or maybe even perhaps a reason to start a war. But in steps Elisha and tells the distra distraught king to send Naaman to him so that he may confirm God's favor on Israel by proving himself to be God's messenger. Again, picture what the scene must have looked like. The all-important Naaman and his entire entourage go to see this great prophet Elisha. But Elisha does not even meet Naaman face to face, but rather he sends him a message to simply go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. Well, Naaman is livid. He has literally been dismissed by this so-called prophet and told to wash in the River Jordan when his own country boasts of many rivers of its own. Has he traveled all this way to be made a fool of by this great prophet of Israel? Naaman will have none of it, at least not initially. Yet, after some persuasion by his own entourage, he agrees, and it is by his obedience that he is made whole. While today's reading stops there, there's more to the story, and I would encourage you to read the rest of this story using the same lenses that we're going to use today for this part of the story. Now, last week, the dean spoke about three different things that we are to look for when we read Scripture. Does anybody remember? We're testing. <laughs> Does anybody remember the three things? Faith. I heard faith. Love. One more. Oh, come on. Faith. There you go. Faith, hope, and love. Faith. Where do we find faith in this story? The simple yet deep faith of a slave girl. Can you begin to imagine what it would have happened to her if her master Naaman had returned home without being healed? It would have meant her life, and she knew that. And yet there was no hesitation in her urging her master to seek out the great prophet of her God. How amazing, what an amazing demonstration of faith. Then there's the faith of Elisha, a faith put into action for the glory of God and not for his own advancement. Remember that Naaman brought with him wealth beyond measure for that time. If Elisha had met Naaman at his home and healed him there and then, Elijah could have named his price. But then, Naaman's faith would have been in Elisha and not in Elisha's God. Elisha gets and expects no reward, no payment, nothing in return. He does what he does only to glorify God. How often are our actions so pure?
hope. As great a man as Naaman was, his condition must have caused tremendous despair, from which he thought there could be no escape. Not until he relinquished his own arrogance and pride and submitted to what God called him to do. It gives us hope that we too, we can find our healing when we can turn from our own need for control, our arrogance and our pride, and do what God has asked us to do. Love. No one escapes the undeniable love of God. If God loved Naaman so much that he would orchestrate all of these events to not only cure him physically, but that he would reveal himself so that Naaman could take the news of this amazing God of Israel back to his own land. If God loved Naaman that much, how much more does God pursue us to know and to love him? As I said, there's more to this story. So when you read the remainder, you will find even more examples of faith, hope, and love within this story of Naaman. Now there's one other word that brings today's readings together. Humility, and in some cases perhaps the lack of it. The lack of humility in Naaman early cost him or nearly cost him his life. His own pride nearly caused him to return to his own homeland without being healed. It was finally in his obedience that God was able to reveal himself to Naaman. Elisha demonstrates that kind of humility, only wanting his actions to point to the glory of God. Is there some arrogance, pride, or stubbornness in us that keeps us from seeing God's revelation in our own lives? It is that same humility, or lack of it, that Paul talks about in his letter to the Galatians, and even Luke in the Gospel. Paul encourages a gentleness of spirit, yet warns about thinking too much of ourselves. I love the verse, see what large letters I make when I'm writing with my own hand. As we examine our own lives and the things that we do in the name of God, we need to examine why we do them. If we are doing good to prove ourselves worthy, or even to try to win God's love and acceptance, we have missed the point of doing good altogether. There is nothing we can do to win or to lose God's love. Say that again. There is nothing we can do to win or to lose God's love. We do good because God loves us and because we love God, because we want to be more like Jesus. What we do, what we should do, is all out of love. Like Elisha, without expectation of anything in return. We all know people and sometimes we are those people, who do good things so that we can be seen and appreciated by others. It is then that we do those good things in vain. I'm not saying that you should not express your appreciation for those who do good, 
We should do that indeed. But receiving praise should not be the reason or the motivation that we do anything. It's indeed like falling in love. We do for the other person, we do out of love. That's how it should be with God. We learn to love Him more deeply by learning to love those that He loves. As we develop a deeper love and understanding of God, we naturally want to do what He's called us to do. Even in the Gospel, Luke calls those who serve God to do so in humility, graciously accepting what is offered to them, ministering to God's people. But he also encourages them to focus on the things of heaven and not on the accomplishments or on the things of this world. As we serve God in our daily lives, let us be more aware of the opportunities and the blessings that God has given us. Let us recognize, both in Scripture and in our daily life, those places where God demonstrates the faith, hope, and love that we can experience in Him. And then let us serve one another in the same humility that Jesus served us. Amen.